This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Good morning again at eight minutes after five o'clock on this Saturday morning. The sun is trying to get up above the horizon and it looks like we're going to have a nice day. And thank you again for joining us here on WGN Radio as we spend uh, some time talking about the most basic industry on the planet, that's the agricultural industry, producing food and clothing and uh, now fuel and everything else that uh, really wouldn't happen without farmers and ranchers out there doing what they do. So uh, we'll spend some time talking about postponements and cancellations and things of that type. I already talked to uh, Matt about the fact that the governor of Missouri said we're going to have a state fair. And that's something we have not heard from Wisconsin, from Indiana, or from Iowa. As a matter of fact, talking about Iowa for a moment, it has been a quiet June at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. Because normally that's the the site every June of the World Pork Expo, which attracts some uh, people from a hundred countries around the world. It's the biggest pork meeting for pork producers uh, that we have on the planet. And uh, that was postponed or canceled until next year. And then uh, along with that, we've got word from the sandwich fair because so let me answer the email questions on the sandwich fair that have been coming in and i'll quote what the sandwich fair sent me this week saying planning for the sandwich fair is still underway the fair has not in capital letters not the fair has not been canceled at this time the sandwich association fair board will be making a final decision on whether or not they will hold the fair in mid-july and the board is hoping that the state of illinois health guidelines evolve regarding large events and will provide a path to allow events like the sandwich fair in september over the next month the board has been and will be following the state and local health guidelines for the fair and all rental events on the fairgrounds and if there does not appear to be a path to having the fair in mid uh, in uh, the week after labor day they would then cancel the fair and all rental events for this year So all announcements about the Sandwich Fair will be on sandwichfair.com. Write that down if you're a Sandwich Fair fan, and there are thousands of you out there I'm finding as I get the emails. But the Sandwich Fair is uh, on sandwichfair.com, so you can go on that at any time and be kept up to date on whether or not there will be a fair. And there was an other interesting note 
in that uh, communication from the Sandwich Fair, there is another Sandwich Fair that is held annually in October in New Hampshire. And that canceled over a month ago, so that has just uh, speeded up the emails and the phone calls from people wondering, is there going to be a sandwich fair in Illinois? So stay with us on that, and we'll keep you posted. But again, sandwichfair.com is where you go to get the information. And uh, the Illinois FFA State Convention uh, made history this past week when it was held virtually, a virtual FFA convention instead of an auditorium full of blue-jacketed FFA members. um, It was done virtually, and we'll be talking about the Illinois State FFA uh, election that took place earlier this week. And we'll share with you some of that information. So there is a lot going on, but there is a lot that is not going on, too. The Iowa State Fair, the Wisconsin State Fair, the uh, Indiana State Fair, all canceled or postponed. And uh, we're still waiting for a decision on the Farm Progress Show scheduled for Boone, Iowa, uh, this year. And uh, they're still going back and forth on whether or not that can be held. So we're in for a good weekend weather-wise. Could be a little drier. It could be a little chilly also. But uh, we'll be talking about some of the events that uh, will be taking place Uh, And it's good to talk about events that will take place and are taking place. So uh, we are still looking at a very unusual summer season. And the thing that I keep thinking about when you cancel a fair, whether it's a county fair, a state fair, or a convention, and we've seen so many of those cancellations for the uh, convention center here in Chicago that attracts a lot of people. And so... uh, We're going to have to watch the rules because every morning when I turn on my uh, Reuters news service on the computer, I get the count on how many cases of uh, COVID-19 there are. And looking at it this morning, the worldwide coronavirus cases cross 7,590,000. And the death toll is at 422,188 on the planet. And we get those numbers every day to keep us posted. And uh, they even give us the uh, numbers on deaths per 10,000 people in the various countries that are covered in that daily report we get on coronavirus. It's a quarter after 5 o'clock and uh, 52 degrees this morning on my thermometer in Huntley, Illinois, outside my studio. And uh, it's going to be a little cool tonight. It'll feel, I think uh, Tom Skilling said, it'll feel more like April than it will like June. So that's what's happening at the moment, but uh, with good weather... Gardening will certainly make up the occupation for the weekend of a lot of people. And you know who's here to talk about the gardens and uh, some of the problems and challenges we have with uh, 
trees uh, losing leaves in uh, the spring. And so we're going to talk about that with Jim Fazell when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. I don't know if Jim Fazell is responsible for the weekend weather forecast, but if he is, we'll shake his hand and say thank you. It looks like a good gardening week, Jim. Boy, doesn't it ever. I'll tell you, we, well, we can thank Greg Solier. He's our weather guru, and uh, I'll just repeat what he has to say. It should be an absolutely gorgeous weekend today and tomorrow, and the beginning of the week as well. I think we're going to have temperatures in the 60s and 70s, which is really delightful, and then we'll get back into the 90s. I know a lot of people like the 90-degree weather, and the corn crop sure does, but eh, it's a little tough to take if you're not used to it. Uh, by the way, t- uh, t- uh, tomorrow is Flag Day, June 14th, so be sure you put your flag out. No matter what's going on here in the country, we are the USA, and that represents all of us. Every Everybody that's an American can be proud of that flag because of the people that have supported it over the years and made our country what it is that we can live here. Anyway, just a little bit of politics right there. Okay, well, I tell you what, last week I asked you a question about maple leaves turning black and falling to the ground and i got several calls and emails from people saying could you talk about that a little bit more because my tree is doing the same so let's start with the black leaves on the maple trees okay as a matter of fact i did get the photograph that gloria sent it came after we recorded last week but the situation uh you know i was kind of fishing because i hadn't seen a picture actually it's very obvious when you see the picture it's an anthracnose problem now anthracnose is a fungus disease that affects a lot of trees and we've talked about it on sycamores uh, and it's affected sycamores very severely this year in fact if you look at sycamore trees they have a few fully expanded leaves and a whole bunch of little nubbins up and down down the stem that are dead leaves that try to grow This is a disease, it's a different organism for each tree, but maples get it, sycamore trees, oak trees, the old ash trees were terrible with it. It causes black spots in leaves that are already out. These black spots are angular. That's why they call it anthracnose. I don't know what anthracnose really means. It may come from Greek or Latin or something. But anyway, uh, that really just, it, it, it is a description of the shape of the leaf. Now, this fungus is obligated to various a very specific kind of weather. It has to have cool weather and lots of free moisture. Now, this past year, in fact, for the past two years, we've had springs where we had more rain than we wanted. Temperatures were lower than what we wanted. Perfect situation for anthracnose. Uh, Some trees are very susceptible, susceptible to this. Maple trees, much less so. But After I got the pictures from Gloria, I went out, uh, Jane and I, as you know, go out and do our walking through the city, uh, began to notice maple trees, particularly silver maples, which is unusual, had anthracnose, lots of it. The leaves are now falling off because they've been damaged. New leaves are growing, and as long as we have warm weather, and particularly warm, dry weather, we're not going to see the disease anymore. It's done. Now, the question always comes up, should I spray for this? Well, you could, but it's probably not worth the effort. In fact, you have to spray before the disease begins to infect, which means from the time the leaves start to come out in the spring, as long as you have cool, wet weather, you've got to keep the new leaves covered. Pretty tough to do unless you've got a little tiny tree that's just been planted that you can reach with a sprayer. You don't want to have to bring a spray company in to spray every week or two to protect your leaves. Um, If you want to spray, there are a couple of things you could use. You could use the copper sprays or you could use, uh, oh, 
I think dacanilla is, is labeled for that use as well. And all it will do is protect the leaves. Now, if you already have the disease, you can't protect them anymore. They already have it, so it doesn't do you any good to spray. So forget the spraying. It's not worth doing. It's not worth the money. It's not going to work anyway. Those trees are going to make a new flush of leaves. The leaves will be normal because I think we're going to have warm and fairly dry weather from now on out. Won't have to worry about it anymore. Just keep in mind, it'll happen again next year if we have a cool, wet spring. It doesn't do the tree any damage as long as it has enough energy to put out a new flush, flush of leaves. So just ignore it and say that's just part of nature. We'll just live with it. That's pretty much the advice we got when we called McGinty Brothers because we depend on them to take care of our trees, and they said, it'll go away. You're okay. Yep. It will. They're good guys. I grew up with Charlie McGint. He's gone now, yep. but bless his heart. Anyway, good advice. Farmers markets. Yes. How about that? They're beginning to open up. You know, we had a, a little bit of a concern that maybe they wouldn't open at all. And we have all these farmers that have been been preparing since last year when the farmer's market closed back in September and October for this coming year. That means they bought seed. They prepared ground. They prepared places in the greenhouses. They set up for seeding. They bought supplies. All of that stuff sitting there waiting for the farmer's markets to open. Then suddenly in February, some of these farmer's markets said, we're we're probably not going to open this summer. Well, what do these people do? They, They can't say, well, maybe they will and go out and plant, and and then again, if they go out and plant, they've invested all that additional money, and they can't sell the stuff when they get it, so they've been in a real dilemma. Fortunately, farmers' markets are beginning to open throughout the area. Most of them have opened as of the 1st of June. However, it's not the same old farmers' market that we've been used to because there are gobs of restrictions. There are some farmers' markets which require the six-foot uh, spacing very difficult to do when there are crowds of people in the farmers market but uh, they're in, out in the open so people kind of can maintain their distance if they want to then when we get to selecting the produce itself a lot of these places have stands that are set up with a barrier so that you really can't get into them all you can do is walk around and say well i want five of those beets and the attendant will go over and get you the five beets, put them in a bag, hand them to you. And many of them are not even taking cash. They're taking credit cards. So be aware. Also, there are many of them that have guards in place, so you can't even really really uh, uh, talk to the people. They're talking through plastic shields of some kind. So it's really different. Now, my hope is that things will begin to settle down a little bit, and some of these regulations will be relaxed but in the meantime you can't pick out the produce yourself i guess if you bring it over and if, if the you know, sale people bring it over and show it to you and you're not happy with it they'll go get you some different ones everything will be put in packages nobody will be able to handle anything but you can still get your produce it's wonderful produce these farmers have started out uh, early in the season getting ready they pick every week for the farmer's market. They pick the best stuff available, and it's still the best stuff available when they get it to the farmer's market here. So I guess this year we're going to have to put up with the difficulties. The produce is excellent. We've looked at it and seen some of it. Excellent produce because we've had a fairly good growing season. A little bit late, but that will be caught up as soon as we get some more 90-degree weather, which we're going to get some this week. So don't be afraid to go out there, but be prepared. Uh, you might want to take your own shopping bag if you need to so that you can carry this stuff because you're not going to get them at the farmer's market. Um, Be sure that uh, um, 
I think many of them have restrictions on dogs, too. You know, most of these have been farmer's markets where you take your dog, the dogs enjoy each other while you enjoy the produce and cup of coffee and so forth. Uh, so it's really going to be different. But be aware of it. Don't be disappointed when you get there if it's not exactly what you're used to. Uh, make the best of it. This, too, shall pass. I did have another question uh, from a listener on farmer's markets who said, you know, they've got watermelon there, but we're not growing watermelon at this time of the year. Where does that come from? Well, it does come from the U.S., but it comes from Florida and mostly from Texas. Uh, I think some is coming in from uh, from uh, Mexico, but the interesting thing is that there are some growers around here who actually have farms elsewhere in the United States. Uh, if their primary farm is here in this part of the country, uh, and they have a farm in southern Illinois, or they have a farm in Arkansas because they want to get ahead of the game. Um, that is usually allowed at any of the farmers' markets. And, of course, uh, they want to make sure that they really have the farm down there and that that's their people that are doing the, doing the harvesting and shipping it up. Uh, but that does happen. Uh, I know that we have farmers in, uh, in Michigan, uh, and that's considered a local area. Also, Wisconsin, uh, even over into Iowa and Missouri, is considered somewhat local area. But that doesn't mean that you can't get watermelons from Texas at this time of year. If the grower that's growing watermelons up here has jumped the season and he's bringing them up from his farm in, in Texas or in Florida. So that works. And despite the rain that we've had, we do have pretty good crops growing locally, don't we? Our crops are excellent, as a matter of fact. And, you know, uh, the soils have dried out very nicely. It's not like last year when we couldn't even get planted by July. This year, we had a lot of rain, but it stopped. Now, when we have tremendous amounts of rain, as we've had the last or the previous two months, when that rain stops, the percolation does not stop. The moisture continues to go down through the soil, bringing in air behind it, so the soil dries out very quickly. Uh, so you have to watch. We had a little bit of rain this past week, but there are areas that did not get rain. And they, these people that have got new plants out there, um, the garden plants and so forth, or if they did some landscape planting this spring or already or last fall, need to go out and check to make sure that that ground hasn't dried out more than you expect. Because that has happened uh, this past week. Our soil was pretty dry around our place before we got the rain. So I, I did a little bit of watering on some shallowly rooted, shallowly rooted plants. But go out and check. The way you do it, dig around a little bit, even if you have to take a spade and dig down to three or four inches to see if there's moisture. Make sure there is. If there isn't moisture down there, put some moisture on. We can't be sure that it's going to rain again for who knows how long. So don't let these plants suffer. If you let them dry out, that will eventually kill them, especially if we get 90-degree weather. So be sure, since you've gone to all this trouble so far, uh, continue to baby those things for a while. Put some water on them when they need it. And I should mention the farmer's market in Huntley, which is where I live, is open. It has been now for a couple of weekends. And so uh, today, uh, from 8 this morning until 1 this afternoon, they'll be open and they'll have the fresh produce. And then the final question you asked me in an email, is Jameson's open? Yeah. yeah good question. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you have to eat on their patio. You can't uh, sit at the bar or eat indoors but they do have a beautiful outdoor patio as a matter of fact we're going there for dinner this evening and we were there last week for dinner one night and food is as good as ever the setting is a little different uh, tables for six 
but you got to be six feet apart and i guess that's pretty normal for restaurants that are operating outdoors and all of this but yes jameson's is open okay we'll have to plan on getting out there to to break bread with you and actually that is a beautiful patio with a beautiful beautiful vista from the deck there yeah you can watch the golf course yeah right (laughs) okay my friend uh, we'll check in with you next week and look forward to our visit with jim fazell who is our specialist in ornamental horticulture here on the saturday morning show it's 5 30 that puts us at the halfway mark on the saturday morning show thank you as always for joining us we enjoy spending the hour that we do every week here on saturday morning and uh, let us know if you have some questions or some problems you want jim to address and uh, he'll be happy to do that here on the saturday morning show but right now at 5 30 it's time for samuelson says I'm Orion, and this morning I'm going to be your good news guy. I've received several emails from you, and uh, I want to share just one of them with you because it's the basis for my comments this week. It's an email I received from a rancher in Montana who asked, what's going on in this country? What's going on in this world? There is nothing but bad news on every television newscast I watch. Well, because of that and others I've received from you, I've decided I'm going to be your good news guy this week, starting with the weather. There are always exceptions when you talk about weather, but this year, here we are in the middle of June. Corn crop pretty much planted, coming up in good shape. The soybean crop almost planted, and the wheat harvest is underway, and the produce harvest is underway. All of those things are very positive, certainly not bad news. And then something I have mentioned lately in the unusual county fair and state fair season we are having this year. It is a learning opportunity for 4-H and FFA members, particularly those who show livestock, as they will have to learn how to do it for the TV cameras, since the county fair likely will be a visual county fair for you and your kids. And then we have all that going for us. It's positive. As long as we can keep the weather going for us in the direction it's headed, We have not had a large number of tornadoes this year, though we did get a hurricane that brought a lot of rain into the Midwest. And yet, we're pretty much ahead of the harvest season for winter wheat, so it didn't even interrupt the harvest season either. So, my word this week, let's be thankful for the many things that are positive in our lives. We all have bumps in the road in one way or another, but we have to look a little harder to see the positives this year. But we can do it because there is good news out there. Oh, and one more bit of good news. I'm glad I'm looking at the grass from the right side. Be safe. Be well. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. A presentation of Nexstar Media Group at 26 minutes before 5 o'clock. And uh, we'll be taking a look at uh, the cattle market, basically, as we do our weekly market summary 
with uh, Mike Pearson uh, doing the interviewing uh, today with Randy Block of Cattle Facts to talk about the cattle market. So that's coming up when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Joining us this week is Randy Block, the CEO of Cattle Facts. Randy, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Great to be with you, Mike. First of all, right off the bat, we got to ask, how is the slaughter pace coming in this country as we recover from COVID-19? Well, we've made a lot of progress in the last 30 days, uh, going from where we were only able to harvest about 50% when we were in late April, early May. We're now back to harvesting it at 95% of our pre-COVID capacity levels on a daily basis. So we've made huge strides as an industry. You know, we certainly have, but those strides come with some challenges because we definitely had some cattle back up on feedlots over that time period where we couldn't harvest at the regular pace. So now it seems as though we're putting some heavier weight cattle up on the rail. When you're looking out to the future, what does that mean for beef production? Well, we've got a lot of production out in front of us. As you said, we've got weights that have been running about 4% uh, above a year ago levels. Even though harvest levels have still not got back to year ago levels, production levels are actually above a year ago now. So we've got a lot of production out here. We're going to have a lot of production in here through the balance of June and July. We'll test the market. But I think the most important thing is the front end supply is at its peak. It will decline from here. Now that we've got these harvest levels back to 95% of normal, we can add a fifty to 60,000 head a weekend on Saturday harvest on top of that. We'll start to chew into the carryover from July forward. Well, and that kind of, of course, raises a different issue. We've seen retail box beef prices really come down substantially over the past six weeks as slaughter rates have increased. As you're looking out ahead, as we're increasing harvest capacity, are we going to see that retail beef price continue to decline? We will. You know, we've seen a a very, very rapid uh, reduction in these wholesale beef prices. But I think if just so your your uh, listeners and viewers have a good perspective of what's going on out here. When we were going through these reduction in harvest levels, we had a situation that our that our production declined 150 to 200 million pounds per week. That was not just in the beef industry. That was taking place in the pork industry as well. So. When you have that kind of reduction in, in supply, price has to ration, higher price to ration the usage of that dramatically smaller supply, and that's what we went through. So prices are coming back into the range where we've spent the lion's share of the time over the course of the last four years. 190 to 230 on the beef cutout, we spent a lot of time in that $2 to $2.20 level. We got a lot of wood to chop in here as we work through these bigger production levels the next uh, 60 days. So uh, hopefully we'll start to see the consumers come back to the product. I'm anticipating we'll see a little more featuring activity show up in July and August. I think these retailers would love to get beef back on the front page. Absolutely. uh, We're going to have production that will certainly uh, allow them to do that. And they're going to have the confidence that the supply is going to be there now. Let's talk a little bit about exports. Last year, we saw incredible exports of Brazilian beef to China as they were looking to fill that protein hole caused by African swine fever. And the uh, cheapness of the Brazilian real and trade war with the U.S. kept kept them from coming to our shores. As you look out to 2020, are we going to see an uptick in beef exports ahead? We think we'll see 
see an uptick in beef exports this next year, Mike, but it may be a little bit muted. When we go through a second quarter like we just did, where production levels were curtailed to the level, we had the highest beef prices in the in, around the globe. So we were actually encouraging other suppliers to send us additional uh, protein supplies as we went through our harvest capacity issues. But I think when it's all said and done, we still believe we'll end up with beef exports up about 5% for the year. We think pork exports could be up as much as 20 to 30% for the year. That pork gap is still very, very much alive and well when we look at China's situation. So yeah, I think we're going to end up with a very good uh, export year in spite of what we've gone through here in April and May. All right, Randy. I mean, this has been a crazy year with COVID and then the riots and restaurants shut down. But I want to take a step back. We know the cattle industry is cyclical. It takes time to retain heifers, develop heifers, breed heifers, have calves, finish those calves out in a feedlot. So a lot of times we talk about the cattle cycle. When you look at 2020 and you look at some of the placements that are coming in on cattle on feed reports, where do you think we sit in the cattle cycle have we reached the peak and are coming off of it in terms of numbers yeah i think we have reached the peak mike if you go back and you look at where we are as an industry one of our biggest challenges we just get right down to it the biggest challenge we've had as an industry is we don't have enough hook space so we don't have enough harvest space availability to grow the nation's beef cow herd larger than where it currently is we'd anticipated that we would peak up in here close to 32 million beef cows we fell just short of that. The herd started to contract just a little bit in here and as we came into 2020. With all the uncertainty that we're in today, and now that we're moving to a La Nina weather pattern, as uh, the followers of Califax know, Dr. Douglas uh, has been calling for that uh, since last fall, that we would transition to a drier weather pattern. That is happening in the Central Plains and West. So when it's all said and done, the combination of the uncertainty, these little softer prices, drought patterns starting to increase, we're probably looking at another couple hundred thousand head reduction in the nation's beef cow herd uh, by 2021. Randy, before we let you go, as you look out to the rest of this summer, can we get live cattle futures back into the 110s, get a little more competitive with the cash trade? Well, I think we've got uh, we've got some real opportunities out here as we work through the summer and into the fall. The easy way to look at the market is this: we placed 1.1 million fewer cattle from January through May. That's exactly the same size as the front end carryover. The lack of cattle that we weren't able to harvest in April and May. So as that carryover starts to come down. July, August, September, we are going to be into that smaller place against number, which will allow this market to start to improve as we work through the fall and on into the winter. Well, that's what we'll keep an eye on then. Thanks to Randy Block, CEO of Cattlefax. And our thanks to Mike Pearson, who sits in for us while we go through this unusual year for broadcasting as well because most of us many of us are doing it from home and uh, not getting out to as many meetings as we'd like but of course a lot of those meetings have been canceled the uh, illinois ffa held its annual convention this week and we'll share some of the highlights of that convention with you a little bit later And the other thing that we now do during the growing season on Saturday, 
Max Armstrong checks in with a look at progress on the crop situation. So he's standing by with his BASF report, and uh, we'll join Max when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. Well, yes, on the weekends, we like to check in with a technical service representative for BASF to get a handle on how things are looking out of the fields. Kurt Martin's joining us this weekend. Kurt, we keep hearing from some producers, despite all of the heavy rains that have come across the region and the powerful winds, there there are some dry pockets uh, from what we hear. Places like northwestern Indiana and some other spots. Definitely hearing and seeing the same thing. There's parts of uh, western Iowa that have been dry uh, all year, and uh, they didn't get a whole lot of rain. Uh, moving a little bit farther east, parts of eastern Iowa did get quite a bit of rain, depending on where you're at. But the comment I heard from our producer today was, even though we got three inches of rain, it sure dried up pretty fast. You know, that's interesting. And when you look at the drought monitor map that came out on Thursday, it showed that somewhere in the neighborhood of about 40% of the United States was in drought or some degree of dryness. 40%, and that's compared with only about 25% when the spring began. We we count on the spring to give us a good moisture usually, don't we? We came into this year in, in most areas of the Midwest, uh, you know, coming off of what year last year. And uh, and seem to be in pretty pretty good shape, but you know now now the crops in it's getting big. I'm seeing a lot of corn V6 going to be going to V7 now, and now we start thinking to the future where we're going to have some tassels coming out shortly. And you know we kind of want those rains to keep coming. What's your gut feeling about when in the area that you cover we'll see most of that pollination taking place? Is it going to be about the what 10th or 15th of July? Yes, I do believe that uh, most of the corn went in and uh, in in late April and early May. So that's that's generally the time frame where we're going to see most of those tassels showing up. What's your feeling about uh, the fungicide process and uh, how that's going and how producers are approaching it this year? A lot of questions about it this past year with our tropical storm that dropped uh, a lot of precipitation in some areas of the Midwest. And so the concern is what kind of diseases may, may have been brought up with that. The biggest one of concern would be southern rust, and we're keeping our eyes out to see what's going to happen. But we've got to remember we've got our other diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and tar spot, which all overwinter here. And, of course, we'll be monitoring for those diseases and, and waiting for them to show up once we get a little bit closer to tassel. But they're, they're always a threat for us every year, and so especially corn on corn fields or fields at high risk for these diseases with a history Right, are going to be fields that we're probably going to treat year in and year out. Tar spot is a relatively new uh, villain out here, isn't it? I mean, and I guess it's a reminder how things do change in our fields over time. That's right. Tar spot, new disease we first saw about four years ago here in the Midwest, a disease from, from South America. Very uh, destructive to our corn. Only We only find it in corn. That's it's, it's a susceptible host. We don't have any natural defenses against that in, the, in our corn genetics. So the, our breeders have not bred for any tolerance to that disease, and that's what makes it so destructive. If we got the right conditions, like cool and wet, of course, those are the, the main ones that we need. The, the disease overwinters in last year's residue, so we're never really going to get rid of it because we're always going to have corn residue somewhere. Good news is fungicides are very effective in controlling tar spot, especially if we get them on before infection takes place. And BSS fungicides such as Veltima, our newest fungicide, is extremely effective against star spot, and we have a long residual that provides long protection or good residual protection of tar spot. 
I was out on a farm in Iowa last year where they had Valtima and Revitech uh, field plots, trials there, and uh, uh, the farmer, the producer, was quite pleased with what he was seeing. The benefits it brings are longer-lasting residual, fast performance, and performance that you can actually see in the field. A lot of excitement around this product, and we're going to start making our applications here real soon. Because of longer residual, we'll start seeing our applications go out earlier than what we're used to. So we'll start seeing applications going around, out, starting around five-foot-tall corn this year. Very good. We appreciate it. We'll check in with you again next week and get an update from you, Kurt. Great. Thanks, Max. We'll talk to you next week. Kurt Martins, BASF Technical Service Representative. It's 10 minutes before 6 o'clock here on WGN Radio Chicago. The sun making its appearance in the eastern sky. And we're looking forward to a very nice but maybe cooler than normal weekend here in the Chicagoland area. It was mentioned earlier when uh, the uh, folks from Cattle Packs were talking to... uh, uh, to our uh, <laughs> oh come on Samuelson let's get with it here but talking to Mike Pearson about uh, the meat packing industry and I want to take just a moment to uh, say thank you to the processing industry in meat production because it has made what I would consider an amazing rebound from the challenges we were having just two or three weeks ago. But meat production rebounded from its low point during the pandemic when dozens of plants were closed. But experts now say consumer prices are likely to remain high and will take months to work through a backlog of millions of hogs and cattle creating headaches for producers. But earlier this week, beef Pork and poultry plants were operating at more than 95% of last year's levels, which is up about 60% in April at the height of plant closures and slowdowns. That's according to the USDA. And that increased production came as companies took steps to protect workers, such as adding plastic partitions between workstations and staggering shifts that are essential but could slow down the work and the safety measures and bonuses to incentivize workers have increased some costs for meat. But again, I say what I've said for two or three months. There is no food shortage in this country, but there is a shortage of workers in the processing industry and the transportation industry. But that's an amazing recovery from what we were talking about just a short time ago. As I mentioned, the Illinois FFA Association held its annual convention a little differently this year. Down in Springfield this week, not an auditorium full of blue-jacketed FFA members, but they did it virtually and were able to conduct all of their business Don't have time to go into all the details, but uh, they elected a state officer team, and let me mention those folks, and I hope I pronounce their names correctly, but the 2020-21 Illinois FFA state officer team is... 
President Lexi Mueller of Valmeyer FFA, Vice President Molly Shemp of the Olympia FFA, Reporter Margaret Vason of the Amboy FFA, Secretary Jordy Oliver of the Vienna FFA, the Treasurer Emma Coons of the Altamont FFA, and the stars over Illinois because uh, they will go into competition for the national stars that are introduced at the October convention of the uh, National FFA Association. So anyway, the 2020 stars over Illinois, star of agri-science, Eric Schaefer of Taylorville FFA, Star of Ag Placement of Illinois, Lance Moritz of Streeter, FFA. Star Agribusiness of Illinois, Aliyah Ogle of the Streeter, FFA. And the Star Farmer of Illinois, Tanner Mickey of Taylorville, Illinois. So uh, our congratulations to the new state officer team as they take over, and I hope they have a less eventful year as a state officer than uh, we had at the FFA convention this week. But as I've said several times, these are learning opportunities for young people because they have to do things differently, and uh, they seem to be doing very well doing that at uh, the Illinois FFA convention and the other state FFA conventions that are being held. Again, the fairs. No state fair at uh, Indiana, at Illinois, at Wisconsin, but as we mentioned earlier, the uh, Missouri F, uh, the Missouri uh, State Fair will be held, according to the governor. He said, we're not canceling the State Fair during my watch as governor. But uh, again, keep an eye on the uh, schedules for State Fairs around the country, because there are going to be changes and county fairs. This is the opportunity that young people have to show off their animals, but that won't be happening at many county fairs this year or even at state fairs if there are state fairs being held. Uh, You're going to miss the drama of the judge walking back and forth around the cattle, around the hogs, taking a look at them, a good look at them, and then walking up to uh, the steer that he has decided or she has decided will be the grand champion, slapping the steer on the rump and uh, letting everybody know, hey, there is the grand champion for this year's county and state fair. So keep an eye on those schedules and make sure that uh, you're well aware of whether or not the fairs are being held. Some form of a fair will probably be held in most cases. Then there will be some virtual county fairs as well. But uh, again, for FFA members, check with your FFA advisor. And for 4-H members, uh, the University of Illinois Extension doing a good job of keeping us informed on what you need to do and what you will be able to do at the county fair in your community this year. As I said earlier, 
the changes that uh, these cancellations have made affects a lot more than just the fair goers and a lot more than the fair exhibitors because uh, the vendors, the carnivals, the rides that have to book a year in advance for the county fairs, they have to change their schedule now. Uh, I was scheduled to speak at the Boone County Fair, but got word that that fair has been canceled. As I mentioned earlier, the Sandwich Fair is still a consideration, but they haven't made the final decision yet. They will make that in mid-July, so... Uh, sandwichfair.com is where you find out about that because I know a lot of you like to go to the uh, fairs in your county. And then the other news that I had to share with my colleagues here on WGN Radio this week, if you're going out to a farmer's market in our area, there will not be the sweet corn that we like so much there will be sweet corn but uh, the uh, sweet corn from the twin garden farms in harvard illinois uh, they're not growing it this year because the uh, the big situation for the folks at twin garden farms is they can make more and sell more if they just produce seed. The uh, Japanese people really love sweet corn, and I remember well a few years ago when I was at the Twin Garden Farms, I was there when the buyers from Japan were in Harvard, Illinois, to uh, visit with the Twin Garden Farms people, and as a result of the popularity of that seed, that's what they're now producing rather than corn on the cob that we can have on our plates during the fall and, and summer season. And that word from uh, Gary Pack of Twin Garden Farms that uh, you probably won't find the uh, corn that uh, we like so much at farmers markets this year, so make note of that. And finally, back to the Sandwich Fair. As I said, sandwichfair.com is where you go to get the information on will it be or will it not be. And you'll also get that information from us here on WGN Radio. That's our time for this week. Our thanks to our engineer, uh, Bob Ferguson, who does such a good job for us at our studios in Chicago. But again, thanks to you for joining us here on the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.